Hi, and welcome to Multimix. Despite our long, long break for summer, I am still Liam Anderson. We're going to be continuing our series on communication with disabilities with an episode about deafness and specifically sign language. We're going to talk about how sign language came about, how it's used today, and a few prominent accessibility issues. One of the more interesting aspects of American Sign Language, or ASL, is that it pretty much grew organically. A few years ago, in 1620, a guy named Juan Pablo Bonet published a book that basically outlined the ideas behind modern sign language, a set of symbols that allows deaf, hard of hearing, and mute people to communicate. Besides that, there have been plenty of manuals, but if you want to learn ASL today, the books you read or the courses you take are based on decades of natural development. This development also led to a lot of splits in the language, with a bunch of different dialects, even among English-speaking countries. What's really notable here is that ASL isn't just English with your hands. It's actually a whole language on its own, with separate grammar, conventions, and articulation. Learning sign language isn't like learning Braille. You're not memorizing an alphabet and vocabulary, but rather an entire language. So when you articulate a sentence into ASL, you aren't just switching an English version into ASL. You're translating. To pull an example from the Linguistic Society website, the sentence, what did she buy yesterday, could become, literally translated, what she buy yesterday what. Placing the question word at the beginning and end of the sentence shows intent, and the auxiliary verb did gets cut entirely. And this is a pretty common theme in ASL. After all, if you get real abstract about it, words are just markers for meaning, so it makes sense that hand signs are the same. Nobody's demanding that translations be direct. After all, even closely linked languages like English and Spanish can have very different sentence structure. ASL is used today in a pretty wide range of places, but concerts are one of the cooler ones to me. In my research, I found out about a woman named Amber Galloway Gallego, who was one of the more prominent music interpreters in the US. On the front page of her website, she's described as able to demonstrate the emotional bonds which have driven music lovers to concerts for years. A viral video of her interpretation of a performance at Lollapalooza of a song called... Hey Bill, am I allowed to say f on the podcast? I'm not allowed to say the title of this song on a school-sponsored podcast. Managed to raise an important and often overlooked question of how deaf people can access music. Concerts will occasionally have an interpreter present, but they're so rare and the skill is so intensive that most venues either can't afford one or don't even know they exist. So the question of access is an interesting one. Personally, and I think I also speak for the MTMC on this, I can't see a reason not to have ASL interpreters at events. It costs the venue quite a bit of money, but the benefit to the deaf and hard of hearing community far outweighs the cost. It boils down to a question of human factors versus finances, and as we all know, these kinds of questions tend to lead toward the finance side. The development and use of ASL make a great story, but however great it may be, the fact remains that people who are deaf and hard of hearing get very little visibility in the world, the conditions are invisible, and many if not most people don't really know how to act around disabilities in general, so when confronted with deafness, it's very easy to be dismissive, condescending, patronizing, all those rude reflexes. It's 
not a good reaction, and we should all work to better accommodate the people who are marginalized by society. But the first step is simply to let people know about it. How do we decide how to act around people who are deaf or hard of hearing? What accommodations are necessary or polite, and what accommodations are patronizing and belittling? Having the conversation and having it be led by people who are deaf or hard of hearing is really the first step to finding the answer to these questions. Next and last on our mini-series about communication with disabilities is an episode about the rhetoric of the American Disabilities Association, how they spread their research, some stuff about their signage, and a quick history of the fight for equal access in public spaces. Once again, thanks for listening to Multimix. Multimix is brought to you by the Michigan Tech Multiliteracy Center. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by Liam Anderson.